Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Afterlife Awareness Conference. The Afterlife Conference will be virtual again this year in 2021, and we hope you'll join us online June 24th through the 27th. As we have done for the last 11 years, we unite the disciplines in exploring the survival of consciousness after death, offering wisdom from hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, shamans, scholars, and counselors who share a deep understanding of death and beyond. This year, we are honored to have Dr. Robert Thurman, a worldwide authority on Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, as our keynote speaker. He'll be teaching us how to die like a Tibetan Buddhist and is also offering a workshop on Buddhist cosmology. We are also proud to feature returning scholar Dr. Ken Doka, senior consultant to the Hospice Foundation of America, who will talk about the mystical experiences of the dying, and Dr. Jeff Black, a psychiatrist who is also a shamanic practitioner who works with ritual practices for death and bereavement. In addition, we have general sessions addressing everything from music, Phantology and death doula work to ancestral healing practices and grief support. And there are continuing education credits available for licensed professionals. Visit our website at afterlifeconference.com for all the details. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast today. As you know, the story of Mike and I is a healer meets a videographer. My guests today kind of have the same story, but it's a healer meets a physician. I'd like to welcome on the show today, Dr. David Steinhorn and Jana Din, and they are also going to be presenters of the Afterlife Awareness Conference, and that is being held June 25th through the 27th, and uh, they'll talk a little bit about what they're going to be presenting there at the conference. If you'd like to purchase tickets, uh, we're actually doing it virtually and Path 11 Productions is going to be hosting that conference and you can purchase your tickets at afterlifeconference.com. I already had the chance to actually sit in on one of their presentations with the Afterlife Symposium and it was absolutely amazing. So I'm very excited to talk to you both today. Um, So if you guys can imagine, shamanism meets Western medicine. That's what this duo is all about and it's just phenomenal. For the past eight years, the both of them have been providing Western medicine and shamanic healing support in the clinical setting of hospitals, hospices, and other medical facilities nationwide. Uh, Dr. David Steinhorn is nationally known, a specialist in pediatric critical care, palliative care, and hospice medicine. And Jana Din is a formal child psychology teacher, shamanic healing practitioner, and co-founder and director of the Dow Center for Healing. So their unique collaboration began in 2013, and they are providing shamanic healing support support to patients and their families. And we're going to hear a lot more about how shamanism and Western medicine has combined. And I know that you guys focus a lot on children as well, the care of uh, children. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Okay, so who would like to start? Who would like to maybe tell the story a little bit about how the two of your paths crossed? Well, I'll let you start. I'm going to start by saying I think that most of the people listening 
are familiar with Western medicine since it is the default medical system in North America, Europe, and many of the so-called developed countries in the world. Um, and yet, even as a default medical system, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the be-all and end-all of healthcare. And recognizing back in the 1980s and the early part of my uh, academic medical career that we were missing important parts of how we care for patients um, and often creating more more suffering and burden in our attempts to uh, save patients in the intensive care unit setting, it uh, set me on a uh, professional quest to find other colleagues who were able to provide the sort of healing and support that was necessary to broaden and deepen the care that I could provide to patients. And so I think we should fast forward to 2013 and uh, my relocating uh, to uh, UC Davis in Sacramento, California, when my uh, wife was recruited to uh, head the Department of Pediatrics in uh, at UC Davis. And uh, that allowed me to continue my own personal work and study in shamanism and then to bring the sort of shamanic approach to healing into my Western medical practice in the academic medical center. And that really leads us, I think, to turn this over to Jana and to have her talk a little bit about what what shamanism is, because I think from the Western medical allopathic perspective, shamanism sounds like a bunch of voodoo, voodoo and woo-woo and and uh, and I'd like Janet to talk a little bit about how this fits in with the Western system. So shamanism really has been around in all cultures around the world for thousands of years, according to archaeological evidence. And so really it is addressing the healing needs of the mind, body, spirit and soul. Because if you look at Western medicine, it's really addressing the body, the mind, the emotions but who addresses the spirit and the soul. And so shamanic healers do. And essentially the word shaman is a Siberian term and it really means a healer who works on a spiritual level. And typically a shaman uses some kind of percussive uh, sound. So it could be their voice. It could be an instrument. In my case, it's a drum to re create really if you want to think about it the mother's heartbeat which is very soothing and calming even for newborns to listen to and so it's that that very rhythmic drum beat in my case or it could be toning using a gong a whistle um a, just any any kind of rattle for example that uh essentially allows the practitioner to get into a different state of consciousness and and during that time the healer can access information and healing uh, on behalf of the patient client uh, and the community and so in, in doing this work with David that's how we combined and collaborated Wonderful. And and how exactly did you guys find each other? Like, I know that David was interested in this. Um, 
did he come to you for a session or did you know his wife or how did you actually enter into his practice? Well, I'll let David actually answer that. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that, I think that most healers recognize the fact that, that they um, are not only doing work on behalf of their clients and patients, but also doing their own healing work. And that, uh, that, you know, just as the, mystical saying one hand washes the other um, uh, has come down to us through the ages. I think that uh, I know that my realization for the last, uh, oh, probably almost 50 years now, since my early uh, my early 20s, um, I've been doing my own life journey and healing work, and I've attempted to build that into my medical practice originally through study of cosmologies and other sorts of approaches to uh, mystery schools. But uh, then as I evolved and it became very clear that Western medicine didn't have all the answers, that bioethics and philosophy didn't have all of the answers, and that we needed to look more towards uh, more ethereal or mystical approaches to uh, human suffering and healing, uh, it, it became very clear that um, I, I needed to collaborate with others who could bring those uh, skills and sensitivities that I had not fully developed or mastered myself and, and perhaps never will. But the collaboration then was to take my Western medical approach and to combine that with people with demonstrated skill, expertise, and, and wisdom in other traditions and bring that together with the medical practice. So when we moved to Sacramento, I sought out uh, a group of uh, shamanic healers, and, uh, and, and Jana was a member of that group, and join, I joined that group for the time I was in Sacramento, and uh, Jana and I formed a, a healing collaborative uh, from that. That's beautiful. And how lucky are your patients? Because I don't know if there's a lot of doctors in the spiritual closet, or, um, or maybe it, they're just not open to it. But it's been really rare in my own personal experience. Um, and just actually finding doctors like you to actually come onto a podcast like this. So um, I'd like to ask you that question. Have you found amongst your colleagues that this has been actually very accepted, but maybe they've had some reservations? Or do you bump up against um, your colleagues in the medical community kind of looking at this as voodoo, woo-woo stuff? Well, I think that there is a lot of that um, that attitude from Western clinicians and uh, even my own two children, 33 and 30, who are both in uh, medical careers, are not at a place in their lives where they can um, incorporate or recognize the sort of stuff that I'm doing. And I would have to say that even in my own 20s and 30s, and even into my mid-40s, um, I would not have had the same uh, attitude or approach or acceptance of a shamanic approach. I would have had, I had at that time a, a much greater, let's call a cerebral approach to the mysteries of creation, which came through my studies of cosmology and the Gurdjieff-Uspensky schools of, of fourth-way teachings. 
and um, and yet the central truth and element, the core of so many of these traditions, just as the core of all the great world religions has to do with, if you want to think of it as God's love or the love of creation or the energy of creation that comes down through us. So, so I wouldn't have in, in, embraced it from that level in my 20s, 30s, or even the 40s. And it wasn't until my late 40s when I was studying energy medicine um, and began my shamanic studies uh, in my very early 50s that I became aware of or developed an appreciation for the the power, the value, etc. of this approach. And and I think that even our discussing it as shamanism per se assumes that we all have the same understanding of what that terminology means. Um, and and I think that words can be misleading because we think we know, because we think we have a definition for the word, but until we experience something, uh, experience the more mystical or ethereal aspects of what it means to be sick, to be sick, not just in body, but in uh, spirit, soul, emotions, etc. until we really understand the depth in which illness permeates the human being, um, we can't really begin to understand the sort of approach that Jana or other shamanic healers would use or traditional indigenous healers in Native American or Peruvian or Siberian cultures would use to effect healing. And the last thing I want to say about this for this point is that I've also come to a new appreciation the last 15 or 20 years of the power of illness and disease to teach us lessons that we would not learn about life if they were not there. And that's a really important point that um, I think will rub a number of people the wrong way because the idea of medicine is to restore and maintain health. But I would, I would uh, suggest that health has no intrinsic value in and of itself if it doesn't provide you an opportunity to follow the journey for which you were born into this lifetime. Mm-hmm. Great point. Thank you for saying that. Now, I'm assuming, too, that your results with the patients that you're working with must speak for themselves. Um, you know, so like even if people are maybe a little skeptical about the work that you're doing, I am sure that there have been some stories and maybe one that one or two that you'd like to share about the work that you've done, either with uh, the critically ill, the children that you've worked with. Um, Jana, would you like to share a story with us? You know, I think that probably the very first patient that David had me come uh, assist with uh, a nine-month-old infant that was brain dead uh, right before Christmas, and that was in 2013. And so I think uh, that story is probably the most heartrending, but also the most um, uh, hopeful. And so I'd like to share that one, actually. So uh, these parents of this a uh, very young infant that became brain dead after a horrendous car accident. Um, when David had me come in and we 
sat and talked for a few minutes, it was very apparent that the parents just wanted to have me do anything to save their child's life. And so when I went into the room with the dozen or so relatives packed around this very tiny infant, I fully expected to feel just the utter tragedy of the whole situation. But at that very moment, when I walked into the room, I had this enormous uplifting sensation that I was in the presence of an ascended master, that in this tiny infant, that his soul and his spirit was so beyond his little broken body. And it was such a profound feeling. It really swept over me in a way that I wasn't expecting because obviously in that situation, it's so tragic. And yet I didn't feel that. Instead, I felt the immensity of this little infant's soul. And I remember just standing there and pausing and just recognizing how profound this little infant soul was in bringing this experience to the parents, the family members, the medical providers, everyone, all of us were being brought this opportunity. And so the next words that I heard internally were this child is not long for this world. And so at that point, when I walked up uh, to the baby's bedside and I had my rattle with me, so I shook my rattle very gently. And then the other unexpected thing that I saw with my internal sight were these angel wings start to form underneath the, the baby's body. And so as a child psychology, child development, high school teacher for decades, I am a very grounded person, um, very logical. Uh, and, and yet with my shamanic training for these past 20 years, I've come to understand that the world of spirit and the world of the soul brings forth a whole different understanding of life and of death and the afterlife. And so when I saw that, I knew that what I had heard right before that, that this child was not long for this world was the absolute truth, at least for what I was sensing. And so then David and I walked out of the room with the parents. And again, they were pleading with me, is there anything that you can do to save our baby's life? And I said, that's not for me to really promise or tell you, but I will come back again. So the next morning I went back and I proposed to the parents, would they be willing to let me facilitate them to communicate with their infant on a heart-to-heart spiritual level. And the mother being raised Catholic, the very first thing she said to me was, 
I don't know if I believe that that's possible because I'm a very skeptical person. The father who was Mian, that Asian culture that has a lineage of shamans in, in their uh, culture, immediately said yes, he was willing to try. And then the mother said to me, she said, we've asked the doctors to give us three more days because we'd heard that if the baby's brain were allowed some time that the swelling would go down before they had to make the decision to remove life support. And then she said, well, I'm willing to try. And I told her, all you have to do is to bring an open mind and an open heart to this process. So we walked into the room, minus all the relatives, and the father was standing on one side of the bed. I was on the other. The mother was sitting at the foot of the bed, and David was sitting on a chair behind her. And again, I started using my rattle, and I became an intermediary on behalf of the baby's spirit and the parents. And so I just allowed myself to be that conduit of communication between them. And so the words that were said to the father were, through me, what do you need to know right now? And he said, we need to know if you can survive this, if you can live, you know, past this accident, because we love you so much and we want to see you live your life out. And then the next words that were said through me were, you need to not feel guilty or have any doubts or second guesses about taking that drive that morning that resulted in the car accident. And then the next words that were said to him were, I cannot leave in peace unless you release me in peace. Can you do that? And he wasn't able to respond. So then I was directed to turn towards the mother. And the words that were said to her were, you've been the most loving mother that any child could ever have asked for. You loved me more than life itself. You would have gladly given your life for mine, but I can't leave in peace unless you release me in peace. Can you do that? And she was silent. And so then I knew that my role at that moment was finished. So David and I walked out of the room and both parents just started hugging and kissing their baby. And then moments later, they walked out and they said to us, we've made up our minds. We're ready to remove life support. And so then that led them to make the decision to donate their baby's organs. And so they asked me if I would be present for that, which I ended up doing that evening, late, late at night. I went and I drummed for them during that process as life support was removed. And it was just the most sacred, profound experience. My very first experience working with David on behalf of one of his patients and families. Wow, that 
is quite a first experience for you. I mean, you know, it wasn't like spirit didn't put you in there easily. It was Mm -hmm. like, wow, that is intense. It was very intense, you know, and I'd been doing shamanic healing work for 15 years prior to that and and worked with uh, people with cancer. And um, so I was, I think I was trained really well in that respect with all of those experiences. But this was intense in a way that I'd never experienced. Uh, It felt like a rite of passage, actually. Yeah. And how did that experience prepare you for other patients that you've worked with with David? It really prepared me in a way to allow me to uh, connect um, with the families, uh, not having any preconceived idea of what to do or how to do it but just to have the intention that I be of service on behalf of them and the patient, um, but not to have any expectations of how that was going to go other than just to really facilitate a heart to heart and soul to soul, spirit to spirit connection. Wow. Great. Thank you for sharing that story. I'm a little blown away. Um, Now, David, I want to ask you a question because you had mentioned something earlier about how illness can kind of be a teacher, right? And what's what's the point of being here or having, you know, this health if there isn't a lesson? And I always wondered about children, right? About um, it feels like that they haven't really been here that long on earth. So, you know, why would they have to go through these illnesses? What is it that they have to learn? Or are they teachers for the parents? You know, is is the illness in the child the lesson for the family? Um, so I was always curious. I've asked kind of a couple of different healers about, you know, that question where, um, you know, sometimes I've heard people say, well, you know, you could be working out your karma or maybe it's the depression that has been, you know, in your body or your anger and then this cancer manifests. But like sometimes the children don't even have that many years, like a nine month old to even accumulate any stored uh, emotions or experiences that um, unless it is considered to be carried over from a past life. But I wanted to get um, your view on that, David, about you know, children having these illnesses and what has been your understanding on a spiritual level with their health? Well, um, I, I fully recognize that the idea of the human spirit, soul, whatever, uh, not having a single life is probably uh, not correct and that there are probably past lives and there will be future lives, but this life now is the one that we are given or have chosen to deal with and to experience and that we would not experience things if our uh, spirit wasn't in... in, uh, incarnated in this physical form in this family that we perhaps even chose to be born into etc etc so there's a a lot of assumptions that go on here that would uh, rub many rational western people the wrong way and i i don't mean to justify any of that but my my impressions um from my 35 plus year career in academic pediatric medicine um lead me to believe that, especially for very young children, uh, for newborns, perhaps even for uh, 
uh, unborn children, all the way up through uh, school-age children, a lot of the meaning, I'm not going to say purpose, because I don't, I don't intend for it to sound as if there's purpose here, but a lot of the meaning to be derived from their um, life challenges, whether it's physical illness or whether it is mental illness or autism or, or a birth trauma and, uh, and uh, cerebral palsy, these sorts of things. A lot of it in the early years is material for them to teach their parents with. And that um, that uh, it is in many ways far more about what what they are teaching others, the doctors, the nurses, the parents, the extended family, the community um, uh, that has to adapt ramps at school for them and all these sorts of things. There are deep, deep lessons about uh compassion and uh, those sorts of things that are being offered. And I feel that this begins to shift somewhere towards puberty and adolescence and that uh, then so much of the uh, physical illness, disease that we see towards teenage, young adult and adult years, uh, uh, again, becomes much more of the question, what do I as the person who has this medical condition um, learn as a result of having it? What, what, what are the lessons that I am being offered? So, uh, so my overarching concept is that our lives are given to us to teach others lessons in our relationship with them and for us to learn things in our relationship to those other people as well. And that from the hospice and end of life point of view, when one has learned as many lessons as one can in this lifetime and has taught as many lessons as one has to teach or can teach in this lifetime, then one has completed one's life work. And that can happen whether uh, a child is three days old, nine months old, like the infant that Jana worked with, um, or, or any age. So that's the, I think that addresses some of your question here. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I guess my other question would be too, kind of thinking of uh, Louise Hay. I'm sure you guys are familiar with her work and how she really was able to identify a lot of the physical ailments could be connected to an emotional probable cause. So I'm just curious to know in the work that the two of you have done together, have you seen any patterns, um, anything um, you know, patterns within certain illnesses attached to certain lessons that you think people are teaching. I know, David, you mentioned uh, the word compassion here, um, but I'm just curious to know, uh, you know, since 2013, you guys have been working together for quite a while. I'm curious if there is a patterning that you're seeing. I'm going to defer to Jana at this point, and then I'll speak more after that. Yes, I, I, I definitely subscribe to that understanding, um, not only through uh, medical intuitive studies that I have uh, gone through, but also in all of the, the patients and clients that I've worked with. So, for example, let's take cancer, because there are so many different forms of cancer. Uh, when you think about it, what is eating away at the body? And so let's say it's a pancreatic cancer. Um, and because on 
some understanding of that being processing, you know, the sweetness of life. And maybe there's a, a lack of sweetness of life in a person. And so perhaps cancer as an illness is bringing the opportunity for the person to stop whatever it is that they're doing in their life and really do an overhaul of their life. So their thoughts, their beliefs, uh, their emotions, how they approach life, um, perhaps the work, the relationships, uh, because there's nothing like a disease such as cancer to stop one in their tracks from continuing to do whatever it was that they were doing. Um, And so for me, when I'm looking at the reasons why people are coming in to see me for healing sessions, or for example, uh, when David has referred patients for me to work with, I certainly look for what is the emotion and the belief that has long been held. And I call that a core belief or a core healing issue that this person has held. Of course, if it's an infant, I I think it goes back to uh, what we were talking about earlier. What opportunities for lessons are the infants actually bringing the parents, the family members, and all the people working on their behalf uh, medically. But if it's an adult, uh, I really feel that illnesses definitely have a lot of metaphorical as well as uh, symbolic meaning for the person to look at. And, and oftentimes people have blinders to their own um, meaning of, of illness that they're suffering or experiencing. Uh, and so that's when I think work like sh- shamanic work is helpful uh, in, in facilitating people to understand these connections. Great. Thank you. David, would you like to jump in here? Yeah, I think that, um, again, um, as we understand neural development and cognitive development in young children, uh, you know, what does a newborn or a one-week-old really cognitively understand or comprehend? Um, and and I, I, I believe that, again, so much of the early childhood uh, experiences are meant to be more than anything else or can serve. Let, let me take back the word meant because that, that suggests some sort of intention. And I don't want to attribute that to it, but uh, they, these early childhood experiences can serve as mirrors for the parents and other people involved in the child's life to actually look at their own core healing issues, as Jana has called them. And I think we're, what we have seen in several cases, including including uh, the nine-month-old case that uh, Jana referred to and another uh, child who's a year and a half old with a metabolic condition that we worked with, um, that, that there are core healing issues for the parents in terms of coming to peace with letting the child go when there was nothing more that could be done. And clearly, 
from a Western medical perspective, a brain dead nine month old um, is legally dead, and 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 the approach is very clear from a, a, a medical perspective. Um, and yet, what was the uh, lesson being offered to the parents? It had to do with a shift in their own understanding of being able to let the child go with peace in peace. And, and so under, underlying this is what we have seen in other cases, which is that parents come to realize that uh, the bond and love with their child uh, does not die when the body dies. And we have seen this in, in several of the cases we've worked on. Uh, where the uh, parent comes to the realization that even though the child is gone and they grieve the loss of the child's life in, in their lives tremendously, they recognize that there remains a connection and uh, a, a living experience with their child that they would not have anticipated before the death that they had to learn as a part of the process of getting ready for the death and then losing the child. So I think these sorts of themes um, uh, come up commonly in the work we do. There's one other theme that I would like to bring up if we have time to talk about that. Yes, absolutely. And that is a theme of, um, of safety. And, and when the human spirit or soul feels that life is not safe, then it finds a way to exit this life. It finds a way to create an incurable condition in the body. And in so doing, it is freed from this, uh, this life that it's living and is able to go to wherever spirits go next. And I've seen this in several cases where I'm very clear on the fact that children have developed uh, either decompensated heart failure or incurable brain cancers when uh, they were in an emotionally or spiritually energetically threatening uh, living environment or family environment, and the only way the spirit could feel safe was to develop an exit strategy, which was death of the body and release of the spirit. Wow, very interesting. That's pretty intense as well and makes a lot of sense when you put the two together. Okay, so after talking to you guys, I want to embrace the sweetness of life and make sure my pancreas is okay and uh, feel safe here. Feel safe here to, uh, you know, to continue to live out and teach lessons, like you say, and, and learn lessons. So this uh, topic is just so, so interesting and um, would also like you guys to share a little bit about what you're going to be presenting at the 2021 Afterlife Conference that is virtual. You guys are on the Saturday, which is June 26th. And uh, Terry is also, uh, who is the coordinator uh, and founder of the Afterlife Awareness Conference. Your presentation is also offering uh, continuing education credits. So that's also a really wonderful thing. Uh, with this afterlife awareness conference that we have is that you're actually able if you attend and you're watching it live that you can be a part of the continuing ed track which is part of your presentation so what are you guys going to be presenting this year Jana what are we going to be talking about this year 
<laughs> so, you're, you're the leader. Well, we'll be giving a little bit of a, a background, like we did during this interview, of what shamanic healing involves and why uh, a Western physician and a shamanic healer collaborated. Uh, and uh, after we cover just briefly what shamanism is and because obviously everyone knows what western medicine is we will provide some experiential so i'll be drumming so that people can experience that immediate sense of peace that we've been able to provide patients and family members and then i'll be leading people through a guided journey which is similar to guided imagery or guided meditation in that I'll be narrating while drumming to uh, in stated intention. And that will allow people to experience what we've been providing for all these families and patients these past eight years, because I was looking at the number of families that we've provided this for in the number of sessions and it's over a hundred. Uh, so we want people to really experience firsthand. What does it mean to do this collaboration? Uh, and, and that's, I think that's in a nutshell, what we'll be providing. Great. Thank you so much. And I know that you guys do have, um, you record some of these um, guided shamanic journeys. Um, Your website is healingjourneys.life. And also a congratulations to you both, because I know that you guys were featured in a nationally broadcast television show called Healing Quest. And uh, the segment was titled Shamans in the ICU. So if our listeners want to check that out, that's wonderful. So healingjourneys.life, what can people find there? Well, they can find the four guided journeys and they can also see upcoming presentations and workshops that we're giving as well as patient stories, cases, uh, including pictures and parent testimonials to how the work has helped them. And, uh, and so we, we really intend for this website to be a resource not only for medical providers, but for persons so that it's not just for information, but as you know, with this pandemic, almost in a year anniversary coming up, uh, these guided journeys are intended to help people to alleviate the isolation, the grief, loss, worry, anxiety, stress, tension that we've all been experiencing. Wonderful. And I'm sure many people have asked you guys this. When are you going to write your book? You got a book coming out or what? <laughs> well, yeah. the, the, the book is, the book is, it, it's in my head. It's in the works. Um, <laughs> the form that it needs to take. And, you know, there, there are going to be a number of revelations here related to patients we've cared for that uh, may be very difficult for some people to read and here, but um, uh, I think that there, it's important things to bring out. And once again, all of this work is hand in hand with one's own healing work. I think that's an important part of the message we want to bring forward, especially for Western clinicians. Most of them have their tradition of the 
the wounded healer you know, coming from uh, ancient Greece. And I think that um, that's part of what we need to bring forward uh, in, in the message, as well as what, what true integrative medicine is. It's not one person being able to be everything for all people in all situations, but rather uh, bringing together multiple pieces that uh, create uh, a product that's more than the sum of the individual parts. Uh, so that's, that's what I hope that we'll bring forward in, in this session as well in June. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for coming on to the Path Loving podcast. And again, if anyone listening is interested in attending the Virtual Afterlife Awareness Conference, you can go to afterlifeconference.com. You can purchase your tickets there. And uh, and if and if you're watching theirs, you'll also uh, get some CEU credits if you need that. Um, so again, uh, wonderful to see you guys again, to speak with you again. We look forward to sitting in on uh, your presentation, which is cool. I get to watch all of them because we happen to be the ones, um, you know, creating this. So I get educated all weekend long and I absolutely love it. So thank you guys so much for being on the Path Love and Podcast and thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Thank, thank you, you so much for this opportunity to share our work. We really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's podcast. And I'd like to give you a couple of coupon codes before you go. I would first love for you to go to path11tv.com and I'd like you to sign up for your free seven day trial. If you like what we have on there, which I know you will, I would like you to go ahead on checkout and put in the code podcast 30. That's going to give you 30% off of the annual subscription. And uh, the afterlife awareness conference is also giving path 11 podcast listeners $40 off the general admission ticket for the virtual conference this year. You can go to afterlifeconference.com. You can purchase your general admission ticket through Eventbrite and put the code. There's a place in the top left corner. You go ahead and click that coupon code and put in PATH40. Again, that's PATH40, and that's going to give you $40 off of the general admission ticket. So with the Afterlife Awareness Conference, they are also giving you six months of free replays. So if you cannot make the conference on June 24th through the 27th, that's not a problem. We will give you six months to rewatch that conference at your leisure. So again, two coupon codes, path11tv.com. Get 30% off by using podcast 30 and afterlifeawarenessconference.com. Go ahead and use path 40 to get $40 off your general admission ticket. Thanks everyone. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.